0: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I Mr. Pop.
1: <laughs> that the only thing we have to
0: fear is. Fear itself. Four score and seven years ago. When in the course of human events. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. There is not a black
2: America, and a white America, and Latino America, and Asian America. There's the United States of America.
0: Listen to the first show exclusively on MixCloud today, and subscribe to us on iTunes beginning January the 18th. From Washington to Obama, 10 American Presidents, the new podcast from Royfield Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national
2: anthem. Britain is just a small island that no one pays
0: attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny.
2: Right. I am good. Good, good,
1: good. Oh, I was just talking to somebody about you like just this second. Alright. Susan. BBC Susan Ray. Voice of the nation. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, she thinks you're pretty awesome too. And she said to me that you've got a famous forebear, and I've got to ask you about him.
2: Alright, who's that? Thomas uh, Paine. Is he a forebear of yours, Thomas Paine? Uh, he's a distant relative, and um Robert Cat.
1: Peasants Revolt. Norfolk. Who was that? Uh...
2: Yeah, Robert Robert cat
1: Okay, so tell me about
0: him. Um, he. Where's Rob? I'm. I'm listening to this right now. Oh, I don't right. want to butt <laughs> in yet. <laughs> uh,
2: he. Um. Basically, uh, the crown started to um, fence in common land, and Robert Kett and his brother Thomas uh, so is this led. Eighteenth a... century then. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. and they—they they, um, actually early in that, but they, they yeah, they—they—they they, they led a, a revolt against the crown and um, held out against uh, the army for quite some time, and then they were both uh, killed. Robert Care was uh, hung at, hanged, sorry, at uh, at Norwich Castle, and there's a plaque about him there. But yeah, I am related to him. I'm also related distantly to Abraham Lincoln, but that's uh, good by hands. the bye. He's, he's also got Norfolk roots
1: well okay then uh, Mr. Monaco can you trump that are you related to because uh, you've got Sicilian uh, parentage you some C- Sicilian
0: Vesper you know yeah yeah I mean maybe there's like a like a Norman conqueror somewhere in my bloodstream I could I could do like an Assassin's Creed machine and, and see who's going through it uh, no as far as I can trace back uh, I feel like it was my great great-grandfather, he was the jeweler... For the King of Sicily, so it must have been at the way tail end of it. Uh but he got one of those the golden letters from America saying how much better it is here than, you know, back in Sicily. You should really come here. And of course it was not. Um everybody got pneumonia, everybody gets sick, you get drafted for World War One. Yeah. Yeah. Uh no, I don't have anybody famous. (laughs) Uh well I have an
1: extremely famous forbear. So this is this I'm gonna I'm going to try and out-trump you, Mr. Right. So, um, on my grandmother's uh, my grandmother's uh, maiden name was Duffus, and every Duffus on the planet and a descendant of a Duffus is descended from Macduff, who's a son of Macbeth. So, Macduff oh. was king of Scotland uh, about 964, about 90, only for about two or three years. Um, so, I'm actually descended from the real... Uh, King Macbeth. Uh, however as I say to everybody when I then say this um, if you have to go back about 40 generations we're all descended from royalty. You know, So if you go back that far and I think every Europe, white European male is actually descended from Charlemagne it's been statistically worked out so that kind of puts it all within perspective but there is a Duffus family website and um, on the front page of the family website there is a, there's a few Scots with with tartan there's a guy in Australia waving an Australian flag, New Zealand Canada and there's this Jamaican guy and there's two uh, elements of the Duffus family had plantations um, in in Jamaica and obviously did the do with their slaves so um, that is my claim to be Scottish royalty but uh, yeah yeah
2: so uh, <clears throat> so
1: basically you both need to doff your caps
0: to me
2: we we've uh, discussed before my attitude to royalty, so no.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll refer you to uh, 1776, sir. We don't we don't take kindly to this. Well, I'm
2: I'm really looking forward to the bit in the in this podcast we're about to record where me and Rob, as two white guys, explain racism to you. Ah. Please do, That's going to be really <laughs> awesome, isn't it? Well, yeah,
1: I am slightly all over the place, funnily enough, but being honest with this whole kind of uh, racism thing. Obviously, racism bad, Lee, <laughs> set, set this out. We'll just and, get that out there yeah, right Yeah, now. and uh, my forebears have been on the receiving end of, of uh, institutionalised racism for, for eons. However, I, I think the, the picture now is somewhat more complicated than we all kind of give it credit.
2: But anyway... <laughs> Let's I do want you to say, so white guys now tell me about racism. <laughs> well, uh, there are other ways
1: in which you can still discuss that matter without, you no, know, I, your right coming I just, into it, Mr. Right. I
2: but... just think it's quite, I just think it's funny. I just thought it was funny. When I saw that question, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. I can white whitesplain this now. Should I, should like I
0: check my privilege now or later is the biggest question. Hmm. See
2: if you can get it in the overhead compartment. Ah, uh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's. We're wasting so much good quality <laughs> stuff here. No, no, no. This, 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 this is in the pre-show. This is. We is this, maybe this should edit.
0: just be the show then. Right. Yeah, all
1: right. Good absolutely. night, everybody. Yeah. This is Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the perspective of one side of the Atlantic from the view from the other, and I'm ably um, aided and abetted by Mick the Scribe right over in Dublin. Hello, Mick. Hello, Mick. And over in Connecticut in the good old US of A, I have Rob the Historian Monaco say hello hey Rock. hey, hey right. uh, and i'm currently sat in san francisco listening to my neighbors next door furiously have sex every minute of the day so gentlemen how yeah. has your week been not as good as your neighbors yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> how about you mr Wright? you've been busy uh yeah it's been fine it's been fine i, I hear you had to celebrate a very special occasion today Yes. Yes. It was uh, it was my girlfriend's 33rd birthday today. So Aww. that's, that's... Oh, happy birthday mixed girlfriend.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but let's crack on with the show because we have many topics to get through. First off, let's start with um let's start in the good old US survey.
2: A CBS News poll this morning ranks potential candidates that voters are considering for president. Republicans give Jeb Bush a three-point edge over Mike Huckabee. Marco Rubio and Rick Perry are next on the list. The former Florida governor laid out his foreign policy ideas in Chicago Wednesday. He also addressed concerns about another Bush running for president.
0: Just for the record, one more time, I love my brother. I love my dad. I actually love my mother as well. I hope that's okay. <laughs> And I admire their service to the nation and the difficult decisions that they had to make. But I'm my own man and my views are shaped by my own thinking and my own experiences.
1: With the field so wide open for the Republican presidential candidate that will most probably face Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election, who just are the real front runners? Mr. Monaco, over to you.
0: Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, week, hasn't it? I think even from last week, it was pretty interesting as well. Um, The easy answer is uh, Jeb, which leads to the repetition of history that it is very possible there would be a Bush-Clinton election, which is boring and repetitive. That's the best we can do? Okay. Um, Right now, it's Jeb. It, it was Romney for a little bit. It was Romney for, like, a twinkling of an eye. And then he couldn't get any money to do this, so he backed out. Oh, um, wait a minute. Mitt Romney doesn't need to get any money. He's, he's got well, his own cash, hasn't he? He does. But, I mean, you know, you... Th- If you're going to use your own money on your campaign trail, that means that you can't be eating, you know, Sevruga caviar anymore. You'd have to have paddlefish caviar, and that's not good (laughs) enough. That's not good enough, of course. Um, But, you know, who besides Jeb has any chance of, you know, getting the, the the base fired up. Scott you know, Walker. A... <laughs> Mick, Mick Wright, <laughs> over to you. Who else other than Jeb
1: Bush is going to get the Republican base fired up?
2: Uh, who's going to get him fired up or who's going to get in the ring? Um, fired up first. Fired up and ready to go. Um, Scott Walker's mad mad as a box of frogs um but the republicans I... <laughs> like
1: their like their politicians ideologically pure don't they you know he's bashed the unions up there in wisconsin he's got his bony Fridays and he's against organized labor
0: yeah um, and you guys had a great time with him uh, in london uh earlier well or maybe he did <laughs>
2: <laughs> um well i don't know marco rubio maybe not Rick Perry, he's already proved himself to be properly balmy and unable to win the nomination in the past. I think he should probably stay out of it um Chris Christie, the bridge is going to be a problem for him, isn't it um, and, uh...
1: Isn't isn't Mr Christie kind of through uh, that Fort Lee Bridgegate thing? Um, he's kind of through that, and I, I must admit I do like the cut of his jib. He is um, a Republican politician who isn't afraid. You know, he's a straight speaker, sh- straight. You know, straight shooter, so to speak. But also isn't afraid to, on occasion, cuddle up to the odd Democrat, which is. Wasn't
2: he a little little too willing to be photographed with Obama? But, yeah,
0: but... and that. that... That For the Republican base, tremendous amount of, of people. Though, how dare you know you associate with the enemy, with the head of state? God, yeah, God forbid! <laughs> yeah, you're head of state, the commander in chief. Yes yes so you so we're saying then that
1: this is um, what Jeb Bush's to lose is that what you're saying then Rob and why is it that in 1776 you guys decided uh, away with monarchy and then there you have this dynasty of Bushes, of which none of them are ideologically that distinct you know they, this is uh, what does he say about America in 2016 that we are looking potentially at uh, Bush the Third?
0: but that there's absolutely absolutely nobody who has an original idea right now i you know you go back to 76 there's the conversation between, do we want an executive? Do we not want an executive? How much power should the executive even have? You've got the people even saying, maybe George Washington should be a monarch. And obviously, even he didn't want that. But nowadays, yes, you do need a central figure. It can be inspiring. It can be you know getting the job done. The checks and balances system works. But when you're choosing from the same family, and it's not like it's, you know, an ancestor of his was president, he's still alive. They're all still alive. It's my my take on Jeb right now is that while the man would have made a, a much better president than his brother, he is stumbling very, very poorly out the gate already um, the fact that you know he's billing himself as the tech president he butched uh, the, the the whole thing with the the emails on his website revealing people's personal information hiring the guy from hipster.com then the guy comes out with these horrible demeaning uh, tweets about blacks and women um, his whole thing about how he's not his father and his brother yet he hired all foreign policy people that worked for either one. It's like, come on, people! Give somebody else a chance. Mick,
1: are the Republicans truly bankrupt of ideas, and is that what this field really shows us?
2: I, I love when you ask questions like this because the the, the answer can only be yes to both. <laughs> but you're going to say probably something not as, broad, as 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 broad and far-reaching an answer as you'd like, is it?
1: No, it's not. So you're going to give me another one. (laughs) (laughs) I I think having to okay, let's say why why do do people think that this shows the kind of vacancy um, in Republican political thought right now Uh, with this.
2: Well, I, I think I think their behaviour in Congress and their their, their behaviour over the past eight years has, has shown how bankrupt they are um, when it comes to to, to, to ideas and their, and their unwillingness to um, find any consensus shows that. So it's not a surprise. You know, this field is just a representation of that. But I mean, look, if the if the Democrats nominate Clinton, I think that that is that shows that they're pretty. Um, Backward looking in some respects, you know, she she couldn't get the nomination last time, but she'll get it this time. Shouldn't there be fresh blood on both sides of of the political divide in the US? That's the thing. Where are the the young, interesting political figures that are coming in that aren't... um, you know, just playing on the fringes uh, and the kind of cartoonish end of this political um, system. That's a
1: very, very good point and and very well put, um, Mr. Monaco. What's up with the Democrats? At least the Republicans, there's going to be some semblance of a race with various different runners and riders. You can go Rick Santorum. He's kind of Tea Party-esque. You know, he's a staunch Catholic. You've got the religious end, end of the party. Uh, you've got somebody like um, Scott Walker, which isn't necessarily thumping the Bible as hard. You've got you've got Chris Christie. Uh, on the Democratic side, nobody wants to run against Hillary. No. Why is it that the Democrats are so scared of going up against uh, Queen Hillary?
0: Because that's that's in the nature of of the Democrat that they are not brave. They're they're very very cowardly and. Yes, to some extent, I can appreciate that there must be some backroom dealings where everybody is sort of saying, look, we're all going to rally behind her. She has the best chance of winning. So there is probably some cohesion there, and I can respect that. However, on the surface, it's cowardly. You can use this opportunity to run for president and get your views across and you can promote things and the press will run with it. You want to talk about immigration? Go have a big you know march about immigration you're not gonna win but you can do it you know the only people that i've seen who are at least trying to get something done are bernie sanders who's not a democrat at all he's an independent he just tends to vote with the democrats and i mean elizabeth warren to some extent but it sounds like she's not going to run But surely
1: she's not going to run because she ultimately... Well, she needs to raise a a bucket load of money, but then she knows that it's all going to be for naught. And who wants to go have 600 days of shaking, shaking hands for ultimately, uh, to, to get a platform of which her being the most outspoken left-wing of the Democratic, Democratic Party anyway, she already has that kind of platform.
0: So Agreed. I mean, but, you know, it could be one of those situations where... While she's out on the road, she's drawing attention to the fact that there's a trillion dollars floating around in student debt, and God forbid somebody wants to collect on that. Where are you going to put all of us? Are you going to send us to debtor's prison? Come on, try it. We'll pull a Charlton Heston on you. <laughs> all
1: right, so uh, we haven't uh, mentioned uh, Ted Cruz. He wants to quickly oh, just finish off with uh, our senator from Texas.
0: Ugh. Mick, you want, you want to take that one? Do you, do you have any adorable sayings that you could throw up towards him?
2: Adorable sayings? Is that yeah, that's like, my role on this? Is adorable. That's right. Um, that was great. I'm totally... Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, well, nuttier than
1: a baby Ruth? I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I, okay. Maybe I'll let that. Uh,
0: what, nuttier than a box of frogs? Is that... Is that is I, I love that. I, I'm totally... Totally saying that tomorrow. <laughs> well, I, just, yeah, I he's, he's a bomb pot. He's a bomb pot. Uh,
1: <laughs> do you think? Do you think, gentlemen, just to end end this segment, that um, we who are not Republicans generally kind of underplay the intellectual rigor of uh, the kind of Republican candidates. <laughs> They're all
2: crazy. And we do this at our peril. Yes, I, don't, but... I, don't, I don't think we said they're all crazy. I don't think Jeb Bush is, is crazy. I just don't think he's uh, um, particularly impressive.
0: No, and and as a as a former Republican, I'll, I'll remind you, um, I was part of the, of the whole earlier intellectual establishment. Nixon unfortunately ruined that by making anti-intellectualism uh, fun and popular. So while it, it, it pains me uh, to know that, you know, it, it seems to be the best way to to kind of get your point across is to pander to the the fewest brain cells. Um, I I do hope and keep my fingers crossed that one day uh, an academic will arise amongst them. Hmm the way that
1: one did for the democratic party i would disagree with you about (laughs) nixon being the 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 person that made anti-intellectualism um popular in the united states i'd say it was president andrew jackson
0: i was just thinking him yeah yeah but that's a conversation for for another podcast another podcast perhaps Mm. and
2: maybe it didn't really hit hit its height till reagan
0: (laughs) very true Mm. that's true
1: crumbs well, aren't we a well-versed bunch all right. <laughs> um let's go over to the uk or more to the point the paris metro
0: suleiman had no idea that he was being videoed when it all happened nor that his face-to-face with british football racism would go round the world
2: they pushed me back when I got in I asked them why they were pushing me they said you don't have anything to do here because you're black I said it doesn't matter if I'm black or white I want to go home that's all
0: he said he's filing a formal complaint with police so that those responsible can be punished
2: We are a multiracial country, so why are they doing that? For what reasons? Because you are white and you think you can do everything you want? No, enough. It's not the 18th century anymore, the 14th century anymore. During slavery, forget it.
1: The French were aghast at the video, and its blatant racial abuse. Most black people here say it's not their experience. When I saw what happened on TV, I was shocked. I understand people's reactions, the fact they couldn't react because I think at first it's astonishing. Myself, when I saw it on TV, I was blown away.
2: Three of the men on the train have now been identified by Chelsea Football Club,
1: which has suspended them from attending home matches. Hugh Schofield, BBC News, Paris. With Chelsea FC promising to ban for life anyone proved to have been involved in the Paris Metro incident and Chelsea manager Jose Mourinho saying that the club was appalled by the racist abuse shown in that video, what does the incident say about the state of racism in football, society and in England and in even Europe right now? Over to you in Dublin, Mr Wright, take it away.
2: Um well as I, I'm 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 really ready as a white guy to give you a, 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 my my view on racism, but uh, <laughs> uh but... I think I think the thing about, uh, about it is I, I think it shows that, well, it shows, you know, it shows football has moved on a great deal since the 80s and you know, 70s and 80s when racism was, was you know, par of the course, really. It, it's, it, it isn't acceptable, but also I think it's easy for us to um, kind of believe that racism is gone rather than it's kind of just under the surface and, and still a very pernicious thing and I, I think you know the response is good and i think the fact that it's such a big story should, it in many ways shows you how um uh this isn't uh, isn't the norm anymore so it's such a big story because it just isn't the, it is not is not the norm in general uh, in the UK or, or, or particularly in football.
1: Mm. Um, Mr Monaco um, you're sat over in Connecticut um, I'm presuming you don't know an awful lot about the culture of British football um, etc how did this story play out and what are the optics on it from an American's perspective? <laughs>
0: You know, first off, it's very hard to get us to care about soccer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, football, maybe. Um, you had a lot of fair weather uh, fans all of a sudden last year uh, with the World Cup. I think people started to finally get really excited about it in this country, probably because we were doing well for a while. Um, but there's always sort of talk with a little, little bit of a, a giggle here and there. When you think about the soccer hooligans overseas, and and how crazy it can be and you watch the clips on YouTube uh, of you know these massive riots that take place and then and then you look at our football games that's actually pretty fairly fairly civilized um, the racism that I've seen uh, from especially with uh, Mario Balotelli, um is racism that it' it almost makes me um, like nervous laughter because it's it's racism i have not seen in for, uh, the the things that they, the monkey sounds and the spears who the hell does that anymore nobody even thinks that way it, it's it's almost breathtaking the depth uh, of racism that some of these people go to um it, it's truly uh shocking mm. um mick um throughout europe
1: Uh, different FAs have a very different response to racism and I think it's, (laughs) this incident happened with Chelsea obviously being an English football uh, team but in Britain we probably are the most enlightened when it comes to trying to combat it Um, would you kind of agree with that and and how exactly, what sanction should the
2: It's
0: that time of the year, your vacation is coming up
1: Chelsea and the FA actually put on those fans that uh, did this, and why do you think it even happened?
2: Um, because these people are ignorant, uh, unpleasant individuals. Um, what sanctions should the clubs put in place? I think that they should... They should ban them from attending games, either home or away. Effect, you know, if they if they can identify if they ident, you know, they know the identities of, of of the people. They can, you know, they've been able to ban people for hooliganism. That's legally, that's that's easy to do. Now they can they can ban them for this too. Uh, in terms of across Europe, I mean, I think other yeah, there are obviously several other countries where there are more serious and more frequent problems with racism, particularly you know countries like Italy. Or Turkey are very bad for it, but um, yeah, it's something we, we've got to we've got to be you know be as, as strong, respond as strongly to as possible. <sighs> So Rob, um,
1: America has, because of the the nature of American society, it's had a very different sporting history than we've had in the UK. You've had Negro Leagues up until the 1950s, you know, in all of your major sports. And then Jackie Robinson was the first uh, black player to play for a white team. How did American sports integrate uh, black players? And how did the fans take to that? It oh, gives I mean, a historical perspective.
0: I, I mean, I mean, as somebody who is not well versed in sports, um, I can tell you that Jackie Robinson was treated like no man should be treated. I mean, the things that would be said to him, the th- you know, people throwing things at him, and it took literally every fiber of his being to not want to just tear through the stands and just. <clears throat> eat- crap out of every foul-mouthed racist that, you know, could lob these things at him. But he held back. People coached him to sort of like, don't do it. Don't give them an opportunity. And there's a reason why, you know, he's a hero in this country. What, What always, which confuses me is that in America, sports have been an amazing way for racism to be chiseled away to the point where nowadays i mean it it, you have entire sports that are dominated i think of the nba i mean it is dominated now by black players and it's great that way um but but
1: okay let's hold hold that point and i'm not gonna hold up at all english football as being any kind of paragon of virtue when it comes to this but it's only, but it's only just now that we're starting to see in American football black quarterbacks. That's still, for the most part, is still uh, the blonde-haired, yes, blue-eyed fair boy enough. role. And but what American football has done, it's put in place the Rooney Rule, hasn't it? So that you are now starting to see uh, African American coaches. So it's been so. Yes, you've had um, black pl- uh, African American football players, but in terms of the governance of the sport, the ownership of the teams, that's still very much a white thing, isn't it?
0: Oh well, bet I mean, if you look at anything, I mean, the people in charge are always a bunch of you know old rich white guys. That that just it seems to be the way it is right now. And until they start you know kicking off um, and letting you know. A generation that has grown up with far more compassion and diversity—you know—it's, you know, I mean, it'll happen one day. It's just that they're still there, (laughs) and they've got children that they'll pass it on to. And until we sort of break it from them, uh, you know. Mick,
1: um, the Rooney uh, Rule—do we need that in the Premier League and in English football? Hmm. When you look at uh, I, I forget this, this exactly what the, what the statistic is, but let's say that twenty percent of Premiership footballers are I think that'd be approximately right. Um, and historically, you look at the amount of black managers there's been, not just in the Premier League, but throughout uh, the, the top four English divisions, it's been pretty, pretty, pretty poor. You've got Chris Hewton, um you've got Powell at Charlton, you had Hullitt Hullett uh, briefly. Um, yeah. It, Paul Lintz, it hasn't you know, there's absolutely absolutely no way that, that the amount of black players have been represented in management of uh, football teams, is there?
2: Well there's, yeah, there was a t- 2 out of 92 at the moment um, so yeah, I think I, I think it, it, clearly something has to change um, and it's obviously taking too long to change um, the time that we've had you know teams with huge numbers of black players and yet no no significant numbers of black managers clearly something sort of changed yeah maybe the rooney rule would make a big a british rooney rule would make a big difference the fact that we've we'd obviously have to call it something else It's confusing otherwise the <laughs> the wayne rooney rule would be something quite different
1: everybody should have uh, hair plugs and a wag for a
2: wife. La penchant for older working girls. (laughs)
1: Let's move on uh, to Vladimir Putin. Bet he cuts that bit, (laughs) guaranteed. I I will not, trust me. Um, Let's move on to Vladimir Putin and the new Cold War. Britain says
0: it had to scramble fighter jets to see two Russian bombers off the south coast of England. It was the second such incident in as many months. The Ministry of Defence said in a statement that already poor relations between Britain and Russia would likely worsen.
2: I want to reassure people, when this happens, what we do is we launch our Typhoon aircraft and they escort these planes out of the UK area of interest. And when this happened most recently, at no time did the Russian military aircraft Uh, cross into UK sovereign airspace. I suspect what's happening here is the Russians are trying to make some sort of a point and I don't think we should dignify it with too much of a response.
1: In a week in which French and British jet fighters have been scrambled to deter Russian bombers from entering their airspace, and Michael Fallon, the British Defence Secretary, has warned that there is clear and present danger that Vladimir Putin will launch a campaign of undercover attacks to destabilise the Baltic states, are we entering into a new Cold War with the Russian bear? Let's go over to you in Connecticut with our resident historian,
0: Rob Monaco. Ooh, oh, you made a comment on... uh... On England, all right.
1: Well, right. it's it's not just an issue on on England, is it? Because no, it's, it's not. It's we are looking at a situation whereby the Baltic states are getting nervous. Uh, we have the ceasefire that isn't in Eastern Ukraine. Um, this is a very bellicose and uh, aggressive Russia that we haven't had in a long time.
0: Yeah. And so there, there's a few ways that we can be looking at this. We can be looking at it as is this a uh, a global problem right now with Russia? Is it a NATO problem um, or is it, uh, you know, do, or America for that matter? Because obviously, you know, yes. It was NATO against Russia in the Cold War, but eh, America and Russia—we'll we'll just call it that. Um, the the uh, question. Oh, the UK was it? But I mean, come on, it's all about us, and you know, come on. <laughs> all right.
2: Is this, is is this is
0: a, a new, new Cold War? Is this a new Cold War? No, because that would imply some kind of seesaw where the 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 sides are at least somewhat balanced um Russia can barely extend its military presence outside its own borders uh no they're going to be you know driven into the ground at some point where he's going to have to um uh, admit that his little you know policy over here is not working um it is not going to get to military uh, levels
1: but the cold war never got to a hot war does it so you can have a new cold war without any kind of you know actual violence but yes mr right yes. what is your take on what is happening
2: we're in, in one Russia? now we're in a cold war now we have been for a while and what's your evidence for that well, Putin. Uh, Putin has been exerting um, undue uh, influence on those Baltic states for for some time. Um, you know, there there were there were and have been Russian military uh, aggressions uh, in those areas for years now. It's, it's got hotter recently, but it's been happening for years, and. Um, you know, you're talking about a leader here who has got to the point where his his control on power there is is you know is, is up there with the Soviet times. He just flips back and forth between the presidency and um, the officer office of prime minister, but he's he's effectively been in charge for the for the duration. Um, and you know Russia is Russia's oligarchy. It's it's it is a huge problem. It's going to continue to be so. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more uh, military escalation in those areas. And you know that the other Baltic states are feeling very threatened. And I could see things moving on from the Ukraine.
1: Rob, doesn't Russia have legitimate spheres of political, cultural? uh, influence in Eastern Europe. There are Russian minorities in all of the Baltic states. Belarus is independent by a pure quirk of history. A third of Ukrainians uh, would if you were asked them, would, would probably want to secede and join uh, the Soviet Union. Kazakhstan is p- half Russian, etc., etc. Aren't we in the West denying the fact that Russia has legitimate beefs with some of these successive republics and that it has legitimate spheres of influence?
0: Uh, I... Yeah. Thanks Chamber. Yeah. Yeah, I I suppose, but at the same time, why would we be so what so the What's the best solution then? Do we sort of back down and say, Yes, Russia, you are a superpower. It's fine. You can go do what you want. You did a great job of managing, you know, that, that last country you had. You got one you have an entire sea that has been destroyed because of, of excellent management there. You have people starving. You have have a, a rate of, of of death in this country from alcoholism that's out of control. And you're this little the grandstand. Ending, you're more concerned about taking your shirt off and going around on horseback than taking care of your own people. So unless we're talking about protecting NATO, um, it, it's I don't know what the correct answer is other than to sort of you know stay the course right now. But I certainly don't think that they should be allowed to have opportunities to project their influence beyond what is you know nominally considered you know russia
1: mick you you call me chamberlain who was another fine brummie but um why is somebody just tacitly admitting that maybe russia has a sphere of influence why does that suddenly make me neville chamberlain for just throwing that on the table
2: because I think I, I think as much as it um, uh, you know it puts me in 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 uh, at risk of, of of activating Godwin's law here any um, anytime you you look at Europe and, and, and see people saying oh well of course this country does have ha- have to have to think about the uh, the, the rights of um, of uh, Ethnic, whatevers in 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 other states, it, it it does kind of remind us of Germany and Germany's thoughts of the ethnic Germans around it in other nations and the way in which that allows you to uh, extend your sphere of influence. I I think you know often um, we jump too quickly to see parallels with the thirties uh, when we talk about Europe, but I do think that there's something in in the way that Putin behaves and the way that Putin's Russia behaves that is similar in that sense of wanting to uh, extend its cultural and territorial uh, influence beyond its borders in in a very aggressive way and in a way that is designed to distract the public at home from um, economic and other cultural issues.
1: I think, and Mick has hit his nail on the head here, Rob, is that um, one of the reasons for Putin to do the sabre rattling is to detract away from economic issues at home, of which you yourself have kind of alluded to. But from a historian's point of view, it's hard not to understand, not necessarily agree with um, the tactics and, and, and the strategy of which Putin's put in place to do this kind of sabre rattling and the soft invasion of the Eastern Europe Ukraine and the grabbing of Crimea, but it's from a historical point of view, it's very easy to understand the national paranoia of the Russian state and the fact that that you know it is actually encircled by NATO. Why why do you think that Western politicians um, struggle to understand that?
0: Well, it's it's an us versus them mentality. You know, if if we if a if a political leader gets out tomorrow and says, oh, yeah, no, I totally, uh, I totally sympathize with Putin right now. I would totally do the same thing in his shoes. Um, That's akin to saying like, you know, have I licked your boots clean enough? Can can I maybe lick them a little more for you? It's not going to inspire a lot of confidence in in our own. But
1: you know what, though, Rob? I kind of disagree here. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because Pat Buchanan, 15 years ago, foresaw, now here is somebody who I don't uh, have too much truck by, but he said, uh, Post the demise of the Soviet Union, we have to be careful. And I'm absolutely paraphrasing what he said here. But he said we have to be careful um, how we deal with the Russian state. And we and we have to try and at least view things from their point of view, i.e., um, if the Russian state turned around tomorrow and did a, a defense deal with Mexico, the United States would absolutely and understandably be upset. We are trying to do similar deals with states on the russian doorstep.
0: Okay, and in that context rebuilt, I am I am going to agree with you, maybe for different reasons though. Ukraine is not a NATO member. So for America to and NATO by proxy to actively be involved in its defense has no point. If Ukraine was a NATO member, that's a different story then because there are laws and treaties in place that deal with that. Article 4. Yeah. There are, well, Listen to the first yeah, show it, exclusively as it stands at right now today, and it subscribe is just to us on iTunes again, beginning us getting January the eighteenth. From Washington to Obama ten American presidents. We really don't need Boyfield to Brown. be involved. And if this is if this is what it takes to prevent Russia from, uh, you know, going beyond saber rattling, then fine, it's fine, you know. But don't go any further because watch out. This is a war that you're not going to win. Mick, you said this was a new cold war. How can we defuse tensions all round
1: constructively?
2: um that's probably why i'm not uh, a member of the diplomatic corps i don't think i'd uh, last very long um... <laughs> I think it's difficult I think I, I think I think the idea I think it, an idea or, or a misconception that occurred uh, at the fall of the of the Soviet system was that Russia was somehow becoming a, a democratic state but I don't think it ever did it just it, it, it just went from being controlled by the Soviet power bloc to being controlled by the the, the broken remnants of, of that Soviet power base and um uh, uh, grand series of criminal enterprises so it's difficult because i think russia is a country that has been failing to function for uh, for hundreds of years at this point and will uh, will probably continue to do so so how we deal with them is, is pretty difficult and with putin still in charge i think it's um it, it's not going to cool down much
1: crumbs on that apocalyptic note let's go on to our takeaways of the week right mr wright over in dublin tell us what's piqued your interest in the last seven days what has been your takeaway
2: well, uh, funny, it's, it's sort of forward-looking. Um, uh, tomorrow night, which uh, I don't know if this is going to be out, so on the Monday after this, we're recording this show, mm-hmm. Sunday, I don't know, what, I've forgotten what day it is today, but anyway, there's a, a Channel 4 Dispatches show coming out which which uh, reveals another cash-for-influence scandal in the British Parliament with uh, two former foreign secretaries. Uh, so Malcolm Rifkin, who's the chair of the Intelligence Oversight Committee and uh, former Labour uh, Foreign Secretary, Jack Straw both being caught on camera seemingly uh, talking about how they can peddle influence uh, for private companies in return for uh, big piles of cash so uh, that's gonna be worth watching and uh, one to really look at as we get back to seeing how much corruption there is in the UK political system.
0: Mm. Uh, Mr Monaco uh, what's in your takeaway? Um. Oh, um, I finally got around to seeing. It was a really cool documentary, uh, indie game the movie. It's just it's very interesting to see uh, these uh, really they're brilliant uh, people, and with basically by themselves or with another person, can produce these these games that. Can rival uh, some of the, the most well-developed uh, publishers. Um, it's very, very neat to see the kind of their creative process as a creator, content creator. So, yeah, pretty neat. Indie game, the movie. So, has that got the Minecraft guy on? It's got um, the guy, uh, Braid, uh, Super Meat Boy and Fez, I think is the last one. I don't know if any of those names ring a bell to our our listeners, so they did to me. Well, um, My
1: takeaway of the last seven days is that sex can be an incredibly bonding experience between not only two people, but also three, because my neighbours have been going at it 24 hours a day. (laughs) I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I hear the moans and the groans of central lovemaking at six o'clock when one or either of them comes home from work I hear the moans and the groans of sensual lovemaking I wake up on a Sunday morning and yes the moans and the groans of sensual lovemaking I now feel bonded to this couple as well because I just cannot do anything without you know hearing him bang away and and her moan and purr but to be fair it's it's actually quite sweet because um, apart from the fact they're incredibly into each other they also um, laugh and giggle a lot so um there you go um wow. listening to the love making of strangers uh, can also make you f- disposed towards your neighbors that is my takeaway of the last seven days wow. and we've had um i think quite a nice good show um someone wants to follow you on twitter mr Wright. how do they do that <laughs>
2: It's uh, at Broken Bottle Boy. I'm going to start tweeting again a bit more regularly, so uh, yes, follow me. It'll we'll be good.
1: Yes, please, because as I said, um, Susan Ray, uh, voice of the BBC, uh, was telling me just before we went on air that um, you 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 is good people, as they say, um, in this side of the water, Mick, and you need to keep tweeting, and she's been missing your tweets. Mr Monaco, um, how can people follow you on social media? Uh, I am on Twitter, at Podcast History. <laughs> Also, you can follow me where I'm at, Royfield. And also, you can follow the show, which is Mid-Atlantic Show on the Twitters. We also have a Facebook group, which needs you to sign up and become a member of, well, our Facebook page, where you can actually see uh, what the topics are of forthcoming shows. So, you can find us on Facebook where we are, Mid-Atlantic. Also, the website is midatlanticshow.com. And I kind of advise uh, listeners to go there because you can actually pose us questions and give us your reactions to things that the various members of the panel have actually said. So that's midatlanticshow.com. that's been us um i think we'll see you all again in 14 days time for another rip roaring edition of mid-atlantic say goodbye gentlemen <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, gentlemen. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys it's good sorry about my numerous fluffs there i D- don't know what came over me
2: but i will uh... you're good you're always good you you do yourself down way too much really oh thank you thank you
1: yeah yeah oh huh. August the 11th, 1965, the bloodiest riot in 40 years of America's
0: troubled racial history begins. Los Angeles, California, the district called Watts. 34 persons die, $40 million worth of property is destroyed, almost 4,000 are arrested. The American Negro, the invisible... It is now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate i have some very sad news for all of you and i think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world and that is that martin luther king was shot and was killed tonight remember martin luther king martin luther king there have been some demonstrations at this early hour in downtown chicago's grant park We heard a moment ago that tear gas has been used as the demonstrators are attempting to form a line of parade and march toward the Died at 1.44 a.m. today, June 6,
1: 1968, with Senator Kennedy. The
0: 1960s, as we understand them, didn't really start happening until about 1965. The framework and the foundation is laid, of course, much earlier. But if you take a look at photographs of American people, you can see a change in fashion, style, and the entire culture that occurs sometime between 1964 and 1967. Listen to the first show exclusively on Mixcloud today and subscribe to us on iTunes beginning January the 18th. From Washington to Obama 10 American Presidents. The new podcast from Royfield Brown. Flexibility is great. That's why
1: there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may
0: be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment.
1: Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers.